Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Unauthorized Cinnamon, a Deadwood podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Daniel Herman. I'm Harry J. Perales, the other. And we are on episode seven of season two, uh, magnificently named EB Was Left Out. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. It's, uh, it, it carries promise and delivers on that promise, <laughs> I think. It's not an EB-centric episode, like, later on when he's just uh, completely co- t- mentally collapsing. <laughs> but, <clears throat> yes. But this episode does open up in one of the most famous, like, exchanges in the show's history. Mm-hmm. So Al walks in and <laughs> he says, do you know this fucking walkway connected us? <laughs> like, holy shit, I found a plot device. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, this is a lot easier. It's not a plot device, but a plot aid yeah. or something. Uh, reading the like Jim Beaver comments, uh, everyone wondered, kind of like, was that always there? Did they have to like build a set? But it was just uh, on the set of the uh, newspaper there was always that kind of walkway and they had to like maybe just add a door yeah basically but anyway <clears throat> but uh merrick tells him that several of his patrons and different stages of undress has illuminated him to this i really would like a dvd extra of various uh heads barging yeah. in on merrick like oh, <laughs> sir please mm, not during the editorial process <laughs> I'm just picturing, uh, what's his name, Ron Swanson from the first episode, busting <laughs> open the door on Merrick. The snatch is bending, Merrick. <laughs> uh, not quite worthy of the front page. <clears throat> um, but Al notices that all of his stuff is still in disarray, and he's not got his press up and running. He asks, like, why aren't you, What what's taking so long? What's, what's the problem here? <laughs> Merrick is, uh, <laughs> all right, look, <laughs> we can make fun of him, but I, I think it's shorthand for something that I think we've all been through where it's like, man, why the fuck do I even bother? Yeah. Like, Why ain't you up and running again? I'm in despair. The physical damage is repairable, but the psychic wound may be permanent. You ever been beaten, Merrick? Once, when I thought I had the smallpox, Doc Cochran slapped me in the face. Stop it, Al. Are you dead? Well, I'm in pain, but no, I'm obviously not dead. And obviously you didn't fucking die when the Doc slapped you. No. So, including last night, that's three fucking damage incidents that didn't kill you. Pain or damage don't end the world. Or despair or fucking beatings. The world ends when you're dead. Until then, you got more punishment in store. Stand it like a man and give some back. What's funny is the only times we've seen him beaten were in the show. So we've, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've been witness to both times. And we know that he was a complete teacher's pet. Yeah. And I guess he was, that always runs the like, you're either going to get beaten mercilessly or you're going to be like just protected forever. Uh-huh. So I guess it was the latter with him. <clears throat> I feel like you reach the point in your life sometimes where it's like, yeah, I'm not, like, I just went through the worst <laughs> but i'm not dead so like what now and you kind of figure like all right well i can dwell on it or i can just like go forward (laughs) i think the the reassuring thing that come that i i tell myself is like oh this isn't the worst thing that's gonna happen to you (laughs) (laughs) see that's the opposite of me i I know but i I just like you know what don't worry about it because something way worse is gonna happen down the line you're not you're gonna forget about this right i i can be very scared of things that happen like <clears throat> we talked about before i always had like a uh anxiety about my appendix bursting <laughs> and like one day yeah. it actually happened and you know wh- while it's going up like leading up until that i can get in my head and be psyched out you know i've been scared before of like you know what's the biggest thing that could get stolen from me and like uh, probably my laptop my laptop if not like my tv or movie collection and i've had my laptop stolen and when it happens <laughs> you just go well it's happened 
Like I can't change that it has happened. Yeah. So there's no point just going like, oh, no, and like throwing yeah. a pity party. It's like, yeah. okay, well, that's the reality now. <laughs> Time to move on. Um, but yeah, now the AV Club has something uh, interesting to say about this. Also, because they're saying like, it sort of feels like something that was at the end of a scene that they tacked on the beginning of the next episode. Right. Um, but they say that it ties into its theme and they talked about uh, the previous episode. Something very expensive is more about how we deal with evil and tragedy. Like when it, when we're confronted of it with it, what do we do about it? How do we react? Um, they say now EB was left out. It's about how we keep on going, how we push ahead, even when life is constantly slapping us in the face. And we see that with several characters where it's mm-hmm. they're faced with the worst case scenario. And yeah. they're like, OK, well, now what? Mm-hmm. Um, but we start that journey at the Bella Union. Uh, we just get a brief scene of Sai asking Lee if we learn that Lee disposed of the bodies that Walcott killed. Uh, Joni comes in and gives Jack all the money back that she gave to the horse um, with some interest. Uh, she walks into Sai's office as Lee is leaving and Lee tips his cap and Con apparently tips his cap to Lee. Leon objects to this. Now, I didn't... Was Leon that overtly racist before he was, like, employed to be... <laughs> Like it was his job to spread racism. Like now here's something, you know, obviously he's just like a hooplehead. Yeah. Dope head. Um, I think he's mad about, Oh yeah. Like when he stole that dope, like he was Mm -hmm. defiant about like, I'm not apologizing to some blah, blah, blah. Okay. That ruins my idea. He was still pretty racist, but there's also that idea that like he's, he's in his, he's like under the eye of his employer right now. Right. And so he has to be on constantly, but I think he just is genuinely just an, a racist asshole. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about before when he was yeah. <clears throat> refusing to apologize to Wu for killing another, you know, yeah. uh, another drug runner. But, you know, I was kind of thinking, would I, <laughs> let's pretend this is maybe what happened. Maybe Milch forgot about last season. But, like, the way you kind of internalize racism that's been, um, put upon you for the sake of commerce like in here in the south uh racism was the economic system here Mm -hmm. slavery was you know putting other human beings in a class beneath us and the slave owners told like the other their fellow southerners you don't want to be like those northerners that are wage slaves that are beneath you because they don't own property they don't you know own other humans they're slaves to these bosses mm-hmm. like but you are your own man you can work your own field and provide for yourself and that's why you know as much as you can say like oh people in the north are just as racist like okay sure but it's different in the south and it's because mm-hmm. it's tied in inextricably with socioeconomic system yeah leon i think is kind of showing that even though sai had to talk him into like you know go you know must things around with the chinese and Mm -hmm. get everyone mad at him he's kind of internalized it yeah and it's become part of his psychology yeah or he was always racist and i was wrong (laughs) (laughs) but that sounds good um but joni goes into sai's office (laughs) So I think the first thing Sai asks her is like, how are things at your place? <laughs> Piece of shit. It's like, great? I, I don't know. Um, but Joni asks what happens to what happened to the other horse. And apparently there were six. I think we talked last episode about, I thought there was like ten. Yeah. <laughs> nah, there's six. <clears throat> Joni just wants to know you know, what happened to the ones that were in with Walcott. Um, and she asks, like, you know, I just want to know if there's like some remains and I can see them buried. And so I just like, there ain't no fucking remains. 
Ugh, God, yeah. come on, man. Um, yeah, Sai kind of notes that he's interested in what happened to the other three, and it's like, dude, just leave it. Yeah. Sai doesn't even begin to get any more like <laughs> uh, relatable or likable. Um, he towards the end, like you can see him start to make a turn of like, oh, maybe he's gonna soften up a bit, but it's the sigh sort of. Yeah, he has that line. It's no picnic, is it, honey? Running, running, pussy. It's like mm, I haven't exactly found it to be that. No, no, <laughs> not when uh, half of us are murdered. No, no, no particular picnic. Um, sigh's gonna be sigh. Now this, okay, now this scene, I feel a bit conflicted about this scene because it, this scene and a scene in the next episode, I believe, start to make me feel sympathetic towards Walcott mm-hmm. as much as you can towards this sort of guy. Um, maybe I shouldn't be that conflicted about it because he's just a fully fleshed human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though he's a monster and a sociopath, he's you know he's standing at his uh, mirror shaving with a straight razor. I'm guessing probably the same one. Um, and stops for a moment, thinking about slitting his own throat. Yeah. So he knows that he's fucked up, which we know because he didn't want to be seen all these times and and all that, but. This and then later his fight with Charlie um, on the commentary track. Garrett Dillahunt says that he doesn't fight back against Charlie because he wants to, he's hoping that maybe Charlie will kill him and, and you know, relieve him of that duty. And there's another scene later where we see these cracks of like, look, I know that I'm fucked up and I don't like it either. But just God damn it. You know, this is I can't do anything about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was kind of conflicted about like, I don't want to feel anything for him because he's not only a murderer, he's like a relentless capitalist and, (laughs) you know, I, yeah, I was having the same feeling when I was watching it too. I was thinking like, fuck, I don't want to like, I mean, I love like Gary Dillahunt's performance and everything, but like as a character, I'm like, I don't want to like this person. I don't want any kind of remote, but then I was like, oh, he wants to kill himself. Because he knows that, but I just noticed, like, uh, you know, he's like, "Fuck, there's just no coming back from anything I've done," and I just keep going on. Yeah, it's it's something where you fight against it because it's like I don't want to, mm-hmm. but it's not egregious. It's not, it's not a what do you call it, gratuitous, mm-hmm. like just throwing in something. Right, it yeah. makes sense, and it also kind of ties in with the you know with the opening speech of you know life's gonna go on until you're dead and there's gonna be more pain in store for you and mm-hmm. he's like it's just gonna go on and i'm just gonna keep doing this it's gonna keep being awful existing just because i have to be who i am but in al's office al is kind of stretching himself and eb comes in uh what i really love about this is al tells him that he wants to talk to alma and eb at first like goes like today and <laughs> Al stops and gives him this look of like, don't fucking ask me a question. And it calls back to like from the beginning of like the series, there was a thing of like, why do you insist on like repeating back to me in your different fucking words what I just fucking said? Yeah. And there were times in their meetings each time after that where EB will like ask a very obvious question, just like reaffirming what Al just said. And I love that they keep it up and don't call any more attention to it than just a like look yeah and eb has to carry on like <laughs> oh, i'll go get her uh <laughs> eb's pacing with him the whole time uh but it's also funny to see like al this kind of his like first trip like out of his you know incubator mm. and uh so he's like, he's stealing himself up to be able to actually make the trip and we'll see later like uh how big of a I mean, it's not overly done. He doesn't overdo it, but like how much of an effort it is for him to like yeah. make his way over across the thoroughfare. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I love his last like, what should I tell the witness? Like, say that you're a pain in my balls that can't desist <laughs> from inquiry to 
till told to shut his fucking mouth and act on the task he was told to fucking do. <laughs> it was... <laughs> it was really good. As much as like we could just praise Ian McShane's performance every week, mm-hmm. this was a new kind of shade. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> fantastic. All right, you, you did it. Uh, so to to like go to baseball for a second... The best player in the world right now is Mike Trout of the Angels. And the joke with him is that, like, um, anytime there's, like, a weakness, like, these these writers and, like, statistical writers are trying to find a weakness. Like, oh, found out we he can't hit high and inside fastballs. Like, high and inside fastballs are, like, a hole in his swing. He can't catch up to him. And, like, the very next season, he not only fixed that part, but he became the best hitter in the league at high inside fastballs. <laughs> And that's what reminds me of like Ian McShane of like, yeah. oh, we'll find out other things he can do. Oh, he's the best at it. Like, <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, we're at Utters and Joni comes in uh, and she tells Charlie that the three other whores were killed. Um, this is another, uh, we talked before about Kim Dickens doing really good work in the, I think, last episode. And here... She's probably even better yeah. in this episode. Her, like, kind of panicked, breathless, uh, overwhelmed um, acting. And she has a line of, like, the place is empty of any sign that they were ever born or lived or got killed, mm-hmm. which is heartbreaking to think yeah. about. Um, your friends just having their entire existence erased, especially when they're already at such a vulnerable station yeah and not only just like you know that they're dead which is you know been devoured by pigs yeah and just shit out yeah she makes a, a point that like maddie was the only woman she ever knew that wasn't afraid of men mm-hmm. and now she's like been killed by this guy mm-hmm. and she's like i can't come to terms with it she tells him she tells charlie that it was a man named walcott who works for george hearst and charlie asked her why did he do it <clears throat> her answer was i don't know that i'm not a man which is, I think, a very strong statement Yeah, from Milch. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that men are capable of this sort of shit. Um, and Joni tells Charlie that she came and told him as a friend, like, he's a deputy, but you can't do anything about it. <clears throat> it's a secret. I told you as a friend, and Charlie says, like, and that's how I heard it, as a friend. And he says, like, don't you ever walk past me again? Because mm-hmm. in the last episode, she just kind of said hi and walked past. Yeah. While all that shit was going down and charlie in charlie's gruff way and we'll see later how he deals with jane and her problem like he's he has this gruff demeanor as a way of showing that he cares yeah and she starts crying and he has to like tenderly hug her Mm -hmm. and you can see him kind of like what's our relationship like is this okay Mm -hmm. and also do you want to be touched by a man right now yeah you can see like you can also see her kind of recoil for like a second and then realize that it's a tender like i'm just trying to help you out this isn't me taking advantage of you and you know a woman in her position you would see why she would just you know she's so used to that she's so used to like you know men just you know taking agency over her body and like oh great like um i'm just the but charlie is somebody who i legitimately cares about her as a friend it's a first second she's like oh 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 oh, yeah that has to be one of the first times Mm -hmm. maybe ever that that she's had that sort of contact with a man yeah all right (laughs) okay so (laughs) uh con stapleton and leon are having trouble Selling the new Chinese horse to uh, white people. Mm-hmm. Um, they say that they've been pushing the angle that they're cheap. It's just a dime. And Sai says, uh, I would play up the strangeness. Among humans for grip, a China woman snatches no peer. In all nature, the python is its only rival, though few have lived to tell the tale. We are dwarfs in the company of a giant. Yeah. That's that's one of those lines that like I'd never seen anything like this in a yeah. television show. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus. I 
I mean, I guess that speaks for itself. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's... Uh, remarkable. <laughs> Truly remarkable. All right, so back in the Grand Central, Charlie finds himself in line right behind Walcott. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how, like, um, God, like the last scene was, what, maybe, like, two minutes? Like, or, like, less than two minutes long? And yeah. And the scene before that is Charlie. There's actually a couple of moments where it's kind of a... There's another moment I'll bring up later, but there's kind of a weird kind of editing, and it... It, it it made me think of the idea of like you know when they shoot you know series television you know it's they don't just like take one episode and then you know um just do it like a movie and then move on they shoot all sorts of different stuff at once and then they mm-hmm. have to kind of piece it together and they'll write the scripts but they have to you know have all this stuff and so there's a lot of stuff that has to get cut out and uh just from automatically he's like oh, here's a friend and like we see like Charlie's true friend, like his true friendship, and like you know the fruit of that. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> the uh, the office of friendship that he's more comfortable in. Yeah, watch where you stamp your fucking feet. Yeah, <laughs> uh, just reminds me of any time like I've had a friend tell me something like shitty about like oh you know this person like person was an asshole to me, and so I've never met the person or something, and so then that automatically colors like you know what person yeah an asshole that and, person is awful yeah. And it's shitty of me because, like, you know, <laughs> you know that person didn't do anything. And, you know, it's a complex situation. But still, you know. They're all humans. Yeah. With ex- their own foibles. Exactly. They were friends before that. And the guy on the other side is kind of probably like, that guy was kind of, I don't know, sensitive. And, you know. <laughs> yeah. But you just go, he's a villain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, at this point, it's very justified. It's very satisfying. Yeah. There's, there's a... Yeah, murder's different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but before we get to that, E.B. has brought Sophie a plate of choice humbles. <laughs> I, tr- I tried to find out what humbles meant, but It'll, we just have to use our context It just kind of looked like a brain when I first saw it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is that a fucking brain? It kind of looked like bread pudding, maybe? Yeah. Oh, I was yeah, like, oh, that right. looks pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> But then, uh, you know, how adorably she sniffs at the tang of freshness in the kidneys. <laughs> so then we learn that it's, you know, innards, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Awful. Uh, pretty awful, awful. Yeah. Mm, uh, Alma gets up immediately, though. She's like, we were done eating. Uh, but then he tells her that Al wants to talk to her. <laughs> he says, like, a penny for your thoughts. <laughs> she just tells her, I'm glad to be leaving your company. <laughs> <laughs> People are just, like, not... Worried about even hiding from Farnham, yeah. how they feel. Um, but now that that's over, Walcott turns to look back at Charlie, and he can feel his uh, Charlie breathing on his neck, and he believes he's doing it intentionally. And then Charlie just calls him a cunt. <laughs> uh, Walcott warns him, like, if we fight, it'll be no casual matter. And <laughs> Charlie uh, literally and figuratively kicks his ass. Yeah. <laughs> he doubles him over and kicks him in the patoot. Yeah. <laughs> and then just like s- <laughs> savagely beats him. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we said earlier, Walcott's not fighting back because yeah. he's hoping maybe he'll die. And um, also, that's another thing. Uh, like Charlie lets out, like he lets out just enough information that he knows. It's like, you know... You, he mentions the fact that you probably haven't been in another fight with a man and you're just picking on people helpless. Yeah. He just like lets that out that he knows. And um, that was another thing I was, that's when I realized like, um, yeah, Walcott probably wants this to happen. He wants somebody to Mm. end him because it's like, Walcott's like a foot taller than Charlie. Yeah. (laughs) Like he could easily just, he's got reach on him. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, It does a thing that happens a lot. It happens in two different ways over the next two episodes, but we see everyone from the town coming out to and witnessing what's happening. Like, Sai sees it, and obviously Sai's like, ah, that's no good. Johnny Burns sees it, and Saul sees it. Um, and with Saul, Seth has to finally come out and pull Charlie off of him. Up in Al's office, Johnny tells Al... I, I really love... This, this show's how smart Al is the way he processes it. He like grabs all this yeah. different information. Johnny tells Al about the fight and he sees Cy heading their way. 
EB just tells Al that he left a meeting with Alma, and EB gives him the information that Walcott had stepped on Charlie's foot. Mm-hmm. And so Al takes this in and then wheels around, like, right as Dan walks in. He goes, <laughs> just, Cy wants to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> he just, like, feeds this information and then spits it out to Dan. <laughs> like, takes that. Okay. that, that It's, like different parts of a puzzle and he's like yeah. okay walcott is Hurstman, who's with Sai, who's getting his ass kicked by utter so Sai's coming over to talk to me about how that shouldn't happen uh and he saw like from the episode before he saw charlie driving the wagon train out mm-hmm. with Joni's. so he's he's Putting all that together. Part of me just wanted to put that uh, song Powerhouse behind this. <laughs> just sing like an assembly line. Turning of, like, information. Cogs, yeah. Sprockets. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we also just see that like Al is back. Like he's, you know, if you had any doubts that he's incapable of like, you know, if he's not all there, charge. he's still the smartest person in the camp. And it's kind of like how he was stretching and pacing earlier. He's yeah. just working out his brain now. Yeah. Like, okay, that, 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 got it. You yeah. Know? <laughs> he's, he's, yeah. Yeah, he's kind of just like, uh, you know, he's just sharpening his knife, basically, is what he's doing. He's like, okay, I'm going to use this. I'm still several steps ahead of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a brief pause for Seth to ask Charlie what happened. Charlie says, cocksucker stepped on my toe. Gives a good uh, look between <laughs> Seth and Saul. Uh, but we're back in the gym and Cy is co- uh, Al's coming down to meet Cy. <laughs> Jill has that great line. Dude, she has the line of the episode. Yeah, yeah. This is a like, really good episode. She gets the best line. Yeah. He's God, all- he's always dragging that fucking leg. <laughs> <laughs> I love Al's response, too. How about that? It was a chill or something? Or the morning oh, yeah, the morning chills. Chill. Just making him stiff. Yeah. Uh, then Cy tells Al that it was a geologist for Hearst that Charlie's beating up and they should have a meeting. They're going to get a meeting together because we can't beat up rich people here. All right. So in Walcott's room, Doc is tending to Walcott. Walcott asks Doc who it was that he was fighting. And he finds out it was Charlie, who is an old friend of Wild Bill's. So he asks Doc, like, you know, can you let him know that I have Wild Bill's letter? And Doc's like, are you guys going to fight again if I do that? <laughs> He's like, oh, I hope not. I didn't do well in the first. <laughs> there is, you know, there's these parts where Walcott can be charming like that. He's yeah. very, like, this self-deprecating <laughs> charm, like, for all his faults. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of, there is, I think it's Dillahunt mostly. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, like, we could occupy you in plaster. Yeah. Otherwise, like, oh, I think I'll occupy myself otherwise. <laughs> and just really cool. And, yeah. like, I want to be that guy's friend. Yeah. Until I remember he murders people. <laughs> and is a, like, relentless capitalist. Um, but at the Grand Central, <laughs> I love Al walking around with his new ascot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even before EB makes his yeah. little comment, just him with that fluffy <laughs> ass kind of That thing. little, like, uh, it looks like that bow that, remember, uh, it was, like, after the whole, like, Trump, like, um, like, controversy about the pussy thing, and then the next day, like, Melania was wearing that same bow, and it's called, like, a pussy bow or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I could think about. Or it's called something. I don't know exactly what it's called. Yeah, I think it's called. Well, I don't. I could be wrong too. I don't know. But uh, I love that. It's like, oh, maybe your what your your ruddy complexion (laughs) brings out makes it look differently. Changes the patterns of your suit. Um. Now I know. Now we get to talk about cinematography again because Alma opens a door, and the way that. Al is lit. Yeah, I put he's lit like a fucking vampire. Yeah. It's, it's you know, this is doing a good job of, as Al brought up last season, he and Alma still have never talked to each other. They're these huge uh, characters in the town. Um, and Alma's only relationship to him is he tried to kill Sophia. He did kill my husband. Uh, and so we see him in her light and he's lit 
like from below because that's scary and mm-hmm. it's also just on his left side which made yeah. me think of when Sai said what the dagos call my sinister side yeah i don't know that's probably that's probably just because that's where the uh atrium or whatever the front of the hotel is mm-hmm. but i thought anyway. this is also the first time that they're meeting like face to face the first time they're actually talking in the whole series and this is still like her perception of him as he's this monster yeah you know the beginning of the next episode like al said what did you think of me when you first met me and i said you were a killer mm-hmm. and so that's the same with alma like yeah that impression that she gets also because she's known him to kill so, yeah. Uh, Sophia's, you know, she comes in. This was <laughs> interesting. This is how stupid I am. She comes in and Alma, she has to go downstairs and almost mm-hmm. like, no, here, like, he just came to talk. And at first I was like, is Sophia trained to like leave the room when Alma has a man in the room with her? <laughs> like from Seth coming in and fucking her all the time? Like, but no, it's no, she's, she's scared of him. Yeah, she's afraid of him. Anyway, I just thought it. That was funny. But yeah, she's scared of him. Uh, and he's like, <laughs> I think Al's like, oh, I tend to have that effect. She's almost like, I think specifically it was your plotting against her life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Al's like, I take some tea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then he gets to the point. He tells Alma that Isringhausen is a Pinkerton. He tells her the whole plot. Alma's at first like just not believing it. Uh, but Al has a whole lot of specifics. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, she like flat out told me and this is what's happening. Um, this is really good between the two of them, like that Alma has like, you know, some sand to her. Yeah. And she's toe to toe with Al, even though she's, you know, Al is formidable and she's terrified of him. Probably not terrified, but thinks him to be a murderer. I uh, like the, the, uh, Back and forth. I don't like the Pinkertons being the Hearst Combine and their fucking ill got their eyes on taking over here. Your staying suits my purpose. As much as you can, please minimize your obscenities. Before Ilk? Anyways. But he, t- so the nub of this just is that he tells her, like, look, I'll get their offer in writing. And then I'll give it to you and you can keep it, you know, as uh, insurance against them trying to you know, fuck you over in any way. Uh, I like as she leaves the what tea do you enjoy? <laughs> I like that fucking black Darjeeling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now in the number 10, we have a. Oh, wait, first there's that really great bit where he walks down and sees EB. And he's like, have we a new pope? <laughs> oh, yeah. He's like, she's some fucky B. <laughs> he's like, Al's wiping his brow. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's, swe- well, he's sweating because he's struggling to get across, but he's making it look like, oh, right. yeah, we just, you know. And he be like, laughs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's so <laughs> fucking tickled laugh. at that. Uh, at number 10, we have a real gathering of the minds. <laughs> uh Khan. <laughs> you know it's pretty hard it's pretty <laughs> stiff competition for worst con <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah there's like i won't fuck a chinese i've got a mother living yet she the jealous type <laughs> uh Jesus. now there's there's the one guy in the corner that had the whole speech a little while ago to steve about you know, Lady Liberty, is she not blindfolded in front of every courthouse or whatever? The same guy is opining on the sideways vaginas of the Chinese. And now Khan comes in trying to sell the skill. <laughs> and he's talking about like, you know, a Chinese woman got that way of milking you of your sorrow and your loneliness, feelings of misbegottenness or whatever. It's so funny that, like, everyone just kind of goes, oh, boy, we see what you're doing. You're not. <laughs> and I think I think Tom says, seems to me that leave you with nothing, <laughs> which is pretty savage. But, yeah, their attempt to sell is not is not working. Uh, now they're at the gym and they're having their meeting. We know this because fruit is on the table. 
There oh, this, are peaches oh, on the table. Oh, I just wanted to make a note. This is a weird. Uh, I just noticed this was kind of the weird cut. Like I was talking about is because. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, because uh, Tom just says that thing, and then all of a sudden we see him at the table. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, there's just kind of a jar, especially considering like you know, because we do see kind of like people walking through and going through places. It feels like there was like a another scene like cut out. That's interesting because it it felt to me like, okay, we have this thing with Al and Cy where they want to have a meeting. Mm -hmm. We need to put something in between. Well, I get there's a whole thing where he goes to Alma. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. maybe they just wanted to put in Con and Leon trying to use the strangeness angle to sell. Yeah, I wonder if there was something else there. Mm Mm-hmm. But at this meeting, Sai is just straight up telling everyone, like, don't mess with Walcott. Don't piss him off. And your instinct is to kind of be like, fuck you, Sai. But, like, he makes pretty compelling mm-hmm. arguments when he's, you know, uh, saying that, um, what does he say? George Hurst geologists won't get convicted of any crime in any court convened by humans. <laughs> They'll buy the judge, and if they can't, They'll buy the jury or witnesses. And if not, they'll start to killing. (laughs) Which is true. Like he's he's right. As icky as it is to like have to say, look, we just have to bite the bullet on Mm -hmm. this one. And it happens to be in his favor. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Now Al also can kind of he clearly knows that something is amiss. Mm -hmm. He wants to know about the wagon that Charlie took out last night. And I love size like we're not here to discuss wagon trains are leaving, you know. <laughs> uh, but it's also kind of, in a way, protecting Joni too. Mm-hmm. Like, I, his chief concern of this meeting is like, leave Walcott alone. Don't dig into it. Yeah. Don't look at what's going on. But also, you can tell he's like, let's not talk about Joni Stubbs and whatever. Tom is just Tom is just constantly asking about like, well, what, what did did he step on your toe in a certain way? Like, <laughs> um, but this and also, uh, you know, going back to what the AV Club and I should bring up the AV Club's Todd Vanderwerf is who does the write ups. I should actually give credit to the actual writer <laughs> who did that work rather than just AV Club. But um, their thing of you just have to you know, grin and bear it and move on kind of applies to Charlie of like, you can't do anything about this injustice, you know, about, and also Seth is going to have a huge problem with that. Yeah. Cause Seth, uh, is motivated very strongly by this sense of justice. And, um, I think Oliphant does really good work of just like not saying anything, just being like, Okay, fine. Like, we'll drop it. That's fine. Uh, but in the meantime, Sai is just like on full tilt and like going like, look, we're never going to. It doesn't matter if he stepped on his foot or killed a bunch of people. <laughs> Everyone's like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> and Al's little comment of like, well, Sai, all that geologists did was step on others' foot. <laughs> <laughs> like relishing his peach mm-hmm. um and Cy, like is done talking to him and everyone kind of agrees like that's fine he signifies that he's done by like slamming down the bowl of peaches yeah <laughs> and there's a shot of johnny like oh oh my peaches <laughs> um but yes yeah, so, and that's uh when doc tells charlie that walcott has bill's last letter mm-hmm. um I think as he's leaving, Sai's like, did I hear you say Walcott wants to see Charlie? <laughs> um, now, at the Grand Central, this is where this is where we get our episode title. <laughs> EB's watching. It's like, why not come out five abreast, cavorting and taunting? EB was left out. EB was left out. <laughs> I love that in his imagination, their, like, central thought, is having left him out. (laughs) Yeah. That's what they're happy about. (laughs) (laughs) They're only talking about how they left him out of their meeting. That's all their meeting was, was leaving him out. Um, And now 
you know, the, uh, Todd Vanderwerf of the AV club circles around to this, this idea of like having to move on past whatever happened. And he points out that, uh, EB can't do that. Yeah. He says, just look at the character singled out in the title who lurks in the background of so many shots in this episode, drinking information as he usually does, mm. but finding himself unable to use that information in any good way Yeah, because he's so self-absorbed. He's just like, <laughs> ah, he's, he's stewing over these things he can't control like we talked about. Yeah. But anyway, um, Seth goes up to talk to Alma. Uh, EB is trying to get some info out of sight. He goes back from a meeting of the worthies. It's like, hope, <laughs> hope you reached resolution. So I just like, thanks. <laughs> I think it was like the gathering of the worthies. <laughs> I love that. Uh, he makes like a joke about Seth is going to go up to fuck Alma. Um, this is very small, but I loved when Alma opened, when, um, opens the door. The look on her on her face. Mm-hmm. That job by Molly Parker to like. She doesn't move her face at all, but you can tell the like shock and all the other emotions that are going to come with seeing Seth by surprise mm-hmm. um, are going to bring up. Um. Now they go in, and he goes to sit down. He holds up one of Sophia's toys, and it's like a, a doll. He kind of smiles at it, but Alma like takes it and puts it away. Yeah. This is really quick, but I think that bit of business served a couple purposes. Like one, he's kind of like, oh, there's a cute toy. And she's like, we're not here to like be friendly or you're not in Sophia's life. This isn't, but also it's very symbolic Mm -hmm. that it's a little child. Yeah. And he's like, oh, cool. And almost it's, you know, she's saying that they both know that almost pregnant. Yeah. This is kind of a metaphorical way of being like, you are not going to be involved in this child's yeah. life. Um, he asks how she's doing. And there's this sort of sarcastic cordiality. It's like, I'm doing fine. How are you? How is your family? <laughs> um. But Seth gets to the point and says, would it be easier for you if I just left? And this is the first of a few times of, I think Seth is uh, in a lot of ways very cowardly, as much as he's like the brave cowboy sheriff. Mm -hmm. He's also an emotional coward. Yeah. And she brings it up like, don't make me make your decision Mm -hmm. for you. Like, She's got that great line. It's like... um... I won't judge your decision, but don't let me make it for you. Or don't make me make it for you. Yeah, and there's um, a lot of his dealings with Martha. Like, he'll, like, force her to make a mm-hmm. decision about something. She's like, look, man, <laughs> this is your life. <laughs> you have to take some responsibility. And, you know, it goes all the way back to the first season. Seth just doesn't really want responsibility he just kind of wants to do his own thing well i I think he's uh he's very entrenched in like the law and what's right what's morally right what you were taught is like by the law what is right he doesn't understand the complexities of what do i do though oh that's a very good point yeah and we think about how we learned that his dad gave his siblings nicknames based on the seven deadly sins yeah so he's been taught a very legalistic Mm-hmm. You no know, code of morals yeah but like that's a really good point that like these shades where it's mm-hmm. like i i this this isn't in the bible what do i <laughs> and even though like he follows like the law he still like beats the shit out of people who like you know don't deserve it so he's he just he doesn't know like how to tame his emotions and you know his desires based on what he wants but he he is he's so bound to the law yeah and i think the law gives him an outlet yeah. Because he's not good. He doesn't trust his own emotions and doesn't know himself. Mm-hmm. And the minute he sees something that goes like that, I know that that's breaking a rule. I can do whatever I want now because yeah. I have to, you know. Right. Um, and we're back at Walcott's room. Uh, this is the other scene with Walcott where I really started to feel for him. Uh-huh. I don't, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's... He's evil, but Absolutely. Um, 
Sai's asking, like, why would you invite Utter to see you? Um, Sai comes out and tells him that Utter knows that, like, he's friends with Joni. Joni told him what you did. Then Sai asks, you know, maybe you want Charlie to beat you up some more? And not in the way that he actually does want Charlie to beat him up so he dies. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he's like, why don't we hire someone to do that and they won't kill you? Like, you're no good to me dead. Like, if that's how you get your jimmies off, we can arrange that. And you can see how he's emotionally wrecked and humiliated. Yeah. That like he also he already doesn't want his weakness to be seen by anyone else. But now that like he knows that Sai just thinks he's a freak. It's not just yeah. like you have this one weakness. It's like you're a fucking mess. You're a freak. What else do you like men beating on you? Like yeah. you like that? And he's yeah. I, I think it's really good work by Dillahunt. Yeah, I think so too. Showing all those layers of like I don't want to talk about it. I'm fucking humiliated. I hate myself. I hate you. Yeah. And Sai has a I thought this was a really good like dagger of a line like you are tough to be a friend to the way he says it is like really damn and again he has that sort of like um self-deprecating like Mm -hmm. i found that to be the case as well something like that Mm -hmm. which is you know that that sort of self-deprecating humor can kind of mask (laughs) deep insecurity yeah um I mean, I don't know anything about that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know either. Uh, Al's room. Now we get a brief scene of Trixie complaining about uh, Saul and Seth nagging her about like she messed up something on her lessons and she was sloppy with decimals or something. Mm-hmm. She's like, uh, he's harping on me. And there's the line like Al says, who's harping the Jew? And she goes, you making a fucking pun? <laughs> That's funny, dude. That's so that's I think I sent you a text of like I looked up I was like, wait, what is it? Wait, Jew harp. I think Jew harp is a thing. And it's like that we call it a jaw harp. Uh-huh. Where it's like mouth harp, yeah. Yeah, mouth harp, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, those things fucking rule. I love yeah. those. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've got one somewhere. Yeah. Uh but yeah, they call it a Jew harp, I guess. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know how Jews are always playing those? <laughs> Lord. I feel like that's what where I feel it was like reverse engineered. Like yeah. they called it a jaw harp because that makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. it rests on your jaw. And then there's like, what if we added a racial slur? Yeah. It's like, I why mean, not? we are racist. <laughs> <laughs> it's only right for us to add racial slur. God. Um, now there's a bit where Al gives her some advice. And she kind of turns it, I think it works in two ways, but he says, don't fault them, Trixie, for your own fucking fears of tumbling into something new, which I think is true. Mm -hmm. I think she's afraid to be bad at something and like open herself up to the vulnerability of correction. Yeah. Uh, But then also, I I think she knows it Mm -hmm. and kind of accepts it, but then also is like, so what you're saying is you want me back there spying for you. He's like... Yeah, if you could uh, pay particular attention to any talk about Walcott, you know, mm-hmm. Hearst geologist, whatever. So I think it's kind of a cover for him. Mm-hmm. He just actually being a dad. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking too. He's just he he has to like just okay, yeah, you can spy on me because I'm an evil man. I really just don't want you to do something different with your life. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he has a good line. It's like you think them being them harping on you is any worth worse than a boot on your neck. Yeah. You know, so I think he, he gives her genuine advice mm-hmm. and then she internalizes it and then turns it like, Oh, so you just want me spying. And he's like, yeah, that's if that's what you got to tell yourself. Yeah. yeah. And there's a good part as she's leaving. He says, and mind your fucking decimals. Yeah. <laughs> and she has to like stifle a smile. Yeah. Like that's it. Like man, with her and Al and her and Saul, like there's so much like, they could just be such good friends yeah. if it weren't for this, like, how fraught the nature of their relationships are. Yeah. And really, it's Al having bought her, you yeah, know, as that, a child. That has something to do with it. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a hurdle. But like they, they, they do like each other a whole lot. Um, uh, we're back at the hardware store. Uh, and Seth has kind of pieced together why Charlie beat Walcott up. Um, and he knows that he has to just swallow it. Mm-hmm. And this is the first instance we kind of see him just do a quick rub of his nose and like, mm-hmm. like put his hand down mustache. This becomes like a tick of his yeah. when he has to stifle his rage, his like, you know, murderous rage. Um, uh, and he tells Saul then that he saw Alma and he's fine with him working at the bank. He says, uh, he also says, she is as you thought. And Saul <laughs> says, I thought so. <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, and then Trixie comes in. She apologizes for, you know, fucking up the decimals and for her attitude about it. She also... <laughs> <laughs> love her, her little, you know, Seth, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot be such an asshole. Like yeah. Moses did all the heavy lifting. <laughs> <laughs> Carrying the tablets. <laughs> uh, and Saul wants to know if she has any advice for him. She Tread lightly. Who lives in hope of pussy? <laughs> I mean, uh, wise words. Yep. Now, in Chinaman's Alley, Con and Leon spot a white guy leaving the tent. They pull him aside. <laughs> Quick note, I think in the comments by either Jim Beaver or Keone Young, they noted they note that this guy who's being surveyed was Paul Malcolmson's boyfriend. Oh yeah. So it's a little oh. thing. Uh, <laughs> is that a white man to see walking like a man relieved? <laughs> I believe he's repositioning his Johnson. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they very comically take him aside and have to like find cover, mm-hmm. ask him how he liked it. And they find out that, Lee has like a line of white guys yeah. <laughs> ready to go. And uh Con and Leon realize that they're no match for Lee at all. <laughs> like he's so such a superior businessman to them in and every way. Also, I think it's strange that we don't actually see that. The line of people? Yeah, like it's not in view or anything. Like and we only see Leon and Con and yeah. the guy they're interviewing. Yeah, I wonder if they just like they're like well, you don't want to see that no to, it's gonna <laughs> it's too depressing it's too like upsetting we don't have to pay extras for yeah. <laughs> line of, um yeah. oh yeah that could be another thing <laughs> it probably it was probably more that it's probably more yeah you know it's, <laughs> no um ah uh, but now in al's room we get the first soliloquy to the chief yeah what's really great is that we're like uh for somebody who's watching it for the first time you're like you're, there's like a little bit of disappointment you're like oh i was talking to himself i was just as bad as like eb no it, but then yes <laughs> no it's actually awesome yeah yeah no it's really great um but yeah uh jim beaver talked about this a bit and they they said like why are there so many instances of people talking to either inanimate objects or people that can't respond. Mm-hmm. And they said, like, first of all, Milch just likes to write like that. Yeah. He likes to write these, like, theatrical soliloquies. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, he said that sometimes they need to shoot two scenes at once, and the gem soundstage was the only, like, soundproof one, because everything else is practical, mm-hmm. a practical set. They're not, like, a soundstage. Yeah. So they can shoot, like two monologues at once without bleed over (laughs) and that's about it um but anyway he's having this you know soliloquy about how sign knows a secret about walcott wants to turn that secret into leverage but the secret's starting to get out and that would dilute his power (laughs) and then charlie utter a half-assed knight errant stumbles upon the secret and now like he's just trying to learn what that is so mm-hmm. he can get that leverage too uh we see that it's uh alice talking to the chief he's got the package he's going to use it as pretext mm-hmm. like that he's going to ship it somewhere and go talk to utter and he goes like good thing we didn't throw you away it's like yeah. it's not like we need storage and if there's a chance in a thousand you people have been praying right why get your boss's <laughs> attention <laughs> 
I love that he allows it like, mm-hmm. oh, fuck, man. What if, you know? I also love uh, that bit where, yeah, he's using it as like a, you know, pretense to go visit Charlie. Oh, I have this package. But he has to reassure the chief, there's no address written on you. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. You're not, <laughs> <laughs> you're not going anywhere. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm not sending you to Cheyenne. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, now, this is absolutely heartbreaking. This We're at... Um, Charlie's place and Jane is stumbling back and she's just like beat all this shit. Yeah. She asks like, what is it, Tuesday? But turns out it's Thursday. Mm-hmm. She thinks, oh, okay, then I still have five days before Tuesday that I have to leave. And he says, no. <laughs> no, it's after when you needed to leave. Well, you look your usual piece of shit. Not you, Jane. You look like dew on fucking roses. <laughs> I uh, woke up on the dirt in the fucking graveyard questioning dusk or dawn. It was dusk. I know it was dusk because it's fucking night now. <laughs> fucking bruises everywhere. Dished out by who? It's getting the up fucking hand on me, Charlie. We talk about death wishes that we see with Walcott. Like, Char- uh, Jane has been told by Doc that her liver's the size of her torso and yeah. she can't drink like that and she's really, like, killing herself. Mm-hmm. with liquor at this point charlie is yelling at her like well go clean up and get ready like he's being kind by not being like you fucking drunk like you're fired yeah he loves her and is trying to take care of her mm-hmm. but he is still this gruff like well you go clean up like you know clean up yourself and she's not even you know, usually even though they both like each other she'd mm-hmm. be like um don't tell me how fast yeah. to fucking go <laughs> yeah yeah She's just like, all right, thank, all right, Charlie, thank you. Like, yeah, it's really heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, now Jim Beaver said this in the comments on what's Alan watching. Um, he said Dayton Callie was the only person on the show I knew well before being cast. He and I were both members of Theater West in Hollywood. Uh, I love him and I love his work. Never more so than when he tried to understand and comfort. Oh, Joni. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was Jane, and now I'm seeing that's Joni. But this works for Jane, too. He says, it reminded me very much of the way he dealt with me during the first season when my wife was dying. A good friend who wasn't polished at comforting, but very much wanted to... Uh, mm-hmm. But wanted very much to be so. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of talk about how um, Milch uses actual characteristics of these actors. Um, and in the next episode, we'll see the other side with Ellsworth talking mm-hmm. about his wife... Yeah. Um, that Jim Beaver actually did lose his wife during the first season. Um, that's when Al comes up and Charlie says they're closed and Al says, oh, well, and he goes, um, he starts bluffing that he knows what Walcott did. Yeah. Uh, and starts kind of talking to, you know, keeping it vague and trying to open mm-hmm. Charlie up a little bit. He kind of stumbles and says, she told me to. And I think Charlie, like, that's the point where he's like, Joni, why would Joni tell you yeah. about this? And this is what she saw. And Charlie's like, she didn't see anything. Yeah. It's like, well, not see as in like you see, see with that. And he's like, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> so and I like that. Like every fracas ain't a victory chief. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also wonder if that was just, um, if that was like a, a call to the fact that like she didn't tell him per se, but he saw her walking away from it. Mm hmm. And she told him just by the look on her face, he he saw that there was some something that kind of grave, mm. and like uh, you know, like a like a, you know, like a poker tell or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, he could have spun that, but I think yeah. Charlie was already pretty yeah suspicious. And um, anyway, Al's walking back in the thoroughfare. Eb smiles, waves at him. Like Al, Al, my friend. <laughs> and then he is like, Al, why, why, Al? <laughs> And I love that Al immediately knows what he means. Like he yeah. knows that EB's butthurt over being left out of the meeting. Yeah. 
And he's like, look, I know you would <laughs> want to blackmail him. You wouldn't be able to resist it. You'd probably get yourself killed. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's like, am I still the mayor? <laughs> For all of me in perpetuity. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um... When Al gets back to the gym, Johnny says, still got that package, I see. <laughs> Ain't nothing gets by you, Johnny. <laughs> uh, and Al tells Dan that he doesn't need to go to Cheyenne after all. Says a whole lot of stuff I don't understand. <laughs> but basically, it's like, look, we're not taking that tack anymore. We're not fighting this out. We have to find a way around it. Mm-hmm. He mentions how <laughs> impressed he was with Seth at the meeting for restraining himself. <laughs> he says... For putting aside his, quote, pet interests, including innocence, so forth, guilt, fucking who did what to fucking who. <laughs> I love Al being condescending about, like, oh, he just is all obsessed with, like, you know, justice, yeah. the truth. <laughs> now, back at the jelly, be, the Bella Union, Joni is um, really, like, running it off the edge. She's talking to Jack and trying to you know uh trick out jack and jack clearly loves her because mm-hmm. he's like i always wanted to sleep with you Joni. <laughs> she's like would you pay me for it and he's like what if i just you know give you back half of what you owe me and well he says i can keep the illusion mm-hmm. which is just heartbreaking yeah <laughs> like poor jack um but Cy- sees her he takes her aside and like really rips her one for telling about charlie and it's not necessarily like you're gonna get us all in trouble but he's to give Sai a modicum of credit yeah he's like this is gonna get you killed if you keep doing this um and there's the like he kind of is like look you're not the one who had to see them with the throats clit throat slit <laughs> i said clit. <laughs> yeah use the throats clit Cut that out. Uh, uh, you know the one that's seen with their throats slit or their throats cut. <laughs> Which if you combine those two is problematic. <laughs> uh, but jo- Joni's like, don't tell me you cleaned up anyone's gore size. Yeah. Well, well, anyway. <laughs> uh, but he, he lectures her a bit about Maddie and says that her problem was she didn't want to grow old. Like we're all growing old. You know, it's kind of like what Walcott was saying to him about, like, you're past your prime and and just do your job and keep quiet. And, like, do what others have found you suitable for. I think Sai is kind of like, look, you're you're reaching too high. You're flying too close to the sun and you're going to get burned. And, like, you can just come back here and I'll protect you. And Joni, to her credit, just sees right through that. It's like, you're not going to fucking protect me. Like, I'm going to be uh, a fucking sex slave. Uh, you know, I thought this was a, a good scene of Sai trying to give partially good advice, mm-hmm. but also he still is controlling self. Yeah. Uh, and Joni just isn't isn't having it. Um, in Walcott's room now, Charlie's come to get the letter. Uh Walcott says he'll give it to him if Charlie tells him what Joni told him, and Charlie like just won't. Mm-hmm. Um, Walcott starts to recite the postscript of the letter, the part that he really loved. Yeah, um, I thought it was it's he didn't just memorize it to prove to Charlie; like he memorized yeah. it because he loves reading it. And right, he's moved by. And at it. first, when you first hear it, you think that he's mocking it, but actually, he's genuinely touched by it, and he keeps repeating it. Hmm. Um, and that kind of really angers Charlie. He's like, you keep that up, and I'll put you through the fucking window. Um, but Charlie's <clears throat> Walcott's like, I just want to know what you know, and that you're not going to tell anyone. And Charlie mm-hmm. says, I'd sooner just kill you and take the letter from you than tell something I promise to keep secret. Yeah. And Walcott's like, okay, you're you promise to keep it a secret. That's all I want to know. And Charlie is still dealing with like, he doesn't know how to deal with Jane having this fucking death wish. Yeah. Um, he is frustrated that he can't help out Joni any more than what he's already done. Yeah. Which isn't nearly enough. And the bad guy's going to get away with it. Yeah. But seeing that letter from Bill just makes him smile briefly. 
Yeah. Well, he's, he's kind of like, you know, it's like talking to Bill again, basically. It's yeah. like new information, new, you know. So there's like a small, he's like trying to contain himself. And if it was anybody else, he would, you know, you could see that he wants to thank him for giving this, but there's no way he can or should he thank him. And there's the, the brief touch of humanity as he leaves. He asks him if he wants a door open or closed. Yeah. That's that's the closest he's going to come to. <laughs> like, Yeah. yeah. About as good as he deserves. Exactly. Right. But you can kind of see the surprise. And it might even momentarily at least save Walcott's life. Like mm-hmm. Charlie, because you can see he's like, uh, open, please, you know. Mm. He's kind of glad to, because everyone else has been either beating him up or making fun of him or, you yeah. know, or, you know, trying to manipulate him. Uh, but the episode ends on Joni just sitting alone in the chaise Ami. And that's how it ends. It's very, uh, that image really sticks with me. It kind of reminds me of like in a Shakespearean play of like a burned out former palace or something uh-huh. like where some great tragedies happen and the person's just sitting alone in the ashes. Yeah. Um, they're sitting there. Um, Jim Beaver made the, the comment, like watch her body in that last shot. She seems not fully in control of her movements. Hmm. Like she's so, you know, not only is she drunk, but she's also so separated from herself and not in control of anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's that episode. I I feel like this episode is kind of a sneaky masterpiece. Yeah, because there's there's so much. Um, I guess thematically pretty consistent. There's so much characterization that happened, and it comes right after like huge momentous episode with big bloody murders and stuff. This one is, I think, sneakily brilliant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's that episode. You got any thing to tie it up? No, not really. Good episode. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week with episode eight, Childish Things. Uh, until then, check us out on Facebook. Just Google Unauthorized Cinnamon. Uh, if you subscribed, thank you so much. Subscribed if you hadn't. Uh, and please give us a rating and a review on iTunes. That would help us out a whole lot in getting seen by more people. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at DeadwoodPod and check out our home at MockingbirdNetwork.com. You can check out a lot of other great podcasts, including my baseball podcast, Throwing Junk. Uh, there's Nerd Love, all about uh, other great TV shows, movies, comic books, anything nerdy. Um, there's the Stacks live comedy podcast that I'm going to right now, as a matter of fact. Um, but until next week, we'll talk to you guys later. Bird Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right. <clears throat> <clears throat>